How's it going? It's fixing to be a lot better, man. Welcome back to Days and Confused, 33 and a third. I'm your host, Jarf, and I'm so excited for this week's episode. We're covering track 25 of the movie. I can't believe we've made it this far. We've got a great guest with us. It's Niall McGowan. And he is a Batman host and has shared with me that he is jealous of literally every haircut in this movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome, Niall. I think the more years pass with my, with my bald head, I'm just jealous of all haircuts now in, in general. But like seeing that, that all the, the 70s shackiness going on and its glories, it's like, oh, man, any of them. I would have taken any of them. Well, I am right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little surprised there's not a single exception. I mean, Mike's hair is a lot. Mm, mm. I think because Adam Goldberg in general, though, I remember when he showed up in Friends and he had this glorious thick quiff. So I just kind of associate it's like, well, I know what you can cut that hair into. I know how good it can be. So even though he's got a, he's gone like into like a Farrah Fawcett thing almost. <laughs> like you can you can trim that right down into something pretty pretty damn sweet. So you see the potential haircut. Yes. Like yes. a sculptor sees their sculpture within the solid rock. Yes, I just we just need to help it escape from uh, its uh, feathered encasing. <laughs> right. All right, cool. Well, let's let's get into it. So, setting up this track, it starts with Sabrina walking up to Tony and it ends with Benny telling Pink his stoner friends don't even care if their football team wins. Mm. And we hear a little bit in the background coming back again. This track was featured earlier in the movie, Peter Frampton's Do You Feel Like We Do? Mm. Mm. That's the, so this is... Sorry, Joe. I just had to ask, because you, you know me. We've known each other for a while. Mm -hmm. And you know that I, in textual form, mostly communicate through Simpsons, GIFs, and memes. Yes. <laughs> and I was wondering, like, did you specifically choose me for this minute because... This song is associated with the like a, an, an episode of The Simpsons at the very least. No, I chose you for this track because of it featuring Cynthia, and I understand that you're a fan of her character. Oh, yes, very much, and and that that ginger afro, big like that. That's a perfect <laughs> right. haircut right there. But oh yeah, yeah I have but... a massive crush on her in high school. Like particularly just their, their little head wobble when she's driving, when she's dancing along in the car and stuff. Oh man, I love that too. Yeah. But no, this this uh, I always associate this song with that episode where you know the Homer Palooza one, where he like joins Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill, doing like this festival circuit where like they keep shooting cannonballs into his stomach. Oh, okay, I remember Cypress Hill and I remember the cannonballs into the stomach. Is that the one where Cypress Hill says that's what it's all about? That and getting toasted. Exactly, <laughs> toasted. That's the one. But no, there's a whole, there's a recurring joke that Peter Frampton is also on tour with them. And people keep like stealing things from his cooler and they keep wrecking his like pyrotechnic sets and stuff. Like, he bought like a, an inflatable pig that shoots out of a cannon at, at Pink Floyd's yard sale. But like there's a bit where he's <laughs> performing this and he's doing the weird, that talk box thing, which I still, my dad's explained that to me. Because my dad was a big like rock guy in the 70s. He's explained that talk box. I still don't know what, the, you play the guitar and it goes in through your mouth. And then you kind of go, wah, wah, wah. It's like, why? What, what, Wait, what's, what? Yeah. But like, you know, so Frampton's doing his like, like, and then he tries to like hit a pedal to set off the flying pig. 
he's going like, oh, go, go on, Springfield, do you feel, do, do you feel like, Springfield, do you, f- oh, come on, do you feel, he's just like, stomping. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I hear that lyric, I just keep thinking of Peter Frampton frustratedly trying to set off an inflatable pig in the background. But And yeah, I assume like, oh, Jarf clearly knows this. This is why I got them in. <laughs> but... Well, it turns out there was even a better reason to pick you for this track than the one that I was thinking about. So <laughs> some sometimes the universe just provides. Yeah. yeah. Well, so obviously it has a Simpsons connection for you. Was there a moment in this scene that spoke to you, though? I mean, um, there's little touches in the minute. Or I keep, like, I'm so used to these things being minute by minute. I keep saying minute and track by track. So apologies for that. But um, No worries. Actually, I noticed that it is a minute long. So I thought, oh, he's going to feel right oh, at home. Beautiful. But uh, there's little touches I like when um, Sabrina and, and, and Tony are kind of left to their own devices. And if you look at their hands... She's settling in. Her hand gets a little bit close to his, and he like Anthony Rapp does a nice little hand twitch because it's that familiarity of like we're flirting, but we don't want to instigate anything too. So I don't want to get too close, and so mm-hmm. her hand's a little too close to mine. And I was just like, well, there's like a kind of moment of, uh, but the moment that spoke to me uh, really was the fact that like your friend's getting lucky, and the fact that Cynthia says to Mike, "We gotta go," <laughs> because the amount of parties yes. I've been to where your friend is like a girl comes over or a boy comes over to talk to someone and you're just like oh I see <laughs> so this conversation's over I'll see you on the other side as it were yeah actually I'm glad that you called that out because the moment that resonated the most for me was right after that once Cynthia and Mike walk away and leave Tony and Sabrina alone together, it's like it suddenly hits them and there's this added weight and pressure that it's like, oh, wow, your friends walked away. Now it's just us. And it just, it gets slightly more awkward, but then they continue their flirting. So I really liked how you could see that little tone shift. Yeah, yeah. I was very curious to see because you just know the friend dynamic so well, it's as briefly as these characters even feature in the film. It's not a long time. It must be like only like three or four or five, you know, minutes really if you add up all their screen time together but like I, I do wonder had Cynthia not said to Mike like you know she prompts the leaving would Mike have awkwardly stood around for another couple of minutes like not getting that he should leave because as soon as she says like oh we gotta go he gets it then because he does a nice little like pat on Tony's shoulder to be like good luck man <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> he has that moment I realize it but I feel like if, if, if she Cynthia wasn't there to like lead the charge it could have got very awkward for like a couple of <laughs> a minute or two before he's like oh right I better leave you to this then I 100% think that he would have stood there not noticing for a couple of moments because he's very self-involved. And so (laughs) it made sense to me that it was Cynthia that was kind of like, "Uh, hello, let's, you know, let's not let's not crowd our buddy now. Yeah, yeah. Although, like, I feel like saying that it is very self-involved. I know one of your upcoming questions is going to be which character do you relate to the most? And it's it's Mike for me. It's uh. It's like, it was funny too because I know I was listening to earlier episodes with Allison Grimm, Allison and Liz, and like you know we're all good friends, and everything Allison was saying was just like yeah yeah I, I, t- I agree totally with what she's saying, but it was just that like I wouldn't be cool enough to be Cynthia. She knows what she's doing. Tony, he's actively getting lucky at a party here. Would never have happened to me. <laughs> so I would be the guy who would like get you know a minor 
thing would happen at the party that would end up embroiling him with rage the entire time and then he would just be like he just wouldn't get past it and would just annoy him the whole night and then like that's me like that's like that's 100 the guy i would be in this scenario so you have the tendency to stew on things a little bit yeah not so much recently you know i think now that i'm like 35 i've kind of learned to, to get past stuff but like back when i was 17 oh yeah <laughs> like i would i don't think i would have gone over and started a fight but I would have been, like, raging about it the entire time. I would never have been able to let that go. Yeah. Well, good for you. Growth is good. And... I mean, I say that, but I could be, like, something could happen tonight. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, my God. All right, all right, all right. And, of course, though, people, you know, don't know me. I am one of the hosts of That Minute. Uh, where we talked about all the, you know, the first four Batman movies, and we'll be still going on. But, uh, of course, the guy who they mentioned, the Mike, in a couple of seconds times, refers to him as a, you know, a Nazi and stuff. That guy, Nicky Cat, uh, of course, featured in Batman and Robin. He was the biker who instigates the whole kind of fight between Alicia Silverstone. They had that big weird bike chase. He's Spike. He's the lead guy, the needlessly aggressive biker. And he's also a bully. And Nicky Cat just plays good assholes, I guess. Uh, but he's the only actor who's crossed Batman universes... I think, ever, uh, because he's in Schumacherville uh, in Batman Robin, and then he's in The Dark Knight as well. So he went on to work with Chris Nolan in another Batman movie. Wow. Um, yeah, he's the guy driving the um, during the big truck chase with, you know, the Joker trying to take out Harvey Dent in the back of the van. Oh, okay. The flip. He's the guy next to the person you find out is Commissioner Gordon in disguise, like he was driving the truck. He's the guy next to him going like, what is that, a bazooka? Oh, that's not good. That's not good. Like all that, <laughs> the, the running commentary. It's that guy. He seems to be playing a way nicer character than he is in anything else I've ever seen him in. But then I guess he's just supposed to be panicking and going like, there's a freaking clown firing our machine gun. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, that's cool. Multiverse Nikki Cat. Yeah, so in this, within this one minute, I got like a little Simpsons thing. I got a Batman connection. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> well, since you're kind of tuned in to the relationship dynamic between the three of them. I'm curious, I recently was looking at one of the earlier drafts of the script and with Cynthia's character description it says that she has a thing for Tony but she has never told him Mm. and Mm. my sense is that did not make it into the final film perhaps because they went the direction not that it not that these are mutually exclusive but they went the direction of having Wooderson flirt with her and he's the one that tells her about this party and then later they're talking about the Aerosmith tickets and so maybe they thought we don't want to spend time on the whole Tony Cynthia yeah. dynamic but I'm curious what your take is do you see it no not like one, one of my things I would take away from their relationship is I always like seeing platonic female-male relationships. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of get the vibe of, yeah, these two guys are just their friends. Like, they're not, there is nothing. Maybe behind, you know, at one point, one of them might have tried something. But, like, I like that there's no, they seem to have a really solid friendship. But yeah. There's no, like, romantic intentions. I feel like they'll just always come to Cynthia with their girl problems or boy problems and she'll, you know, do vice versa. And yeah, the fact that she does, like, you know, as soon as Sabrina comes over, Cynthia, there's no tinge of jealousy. Mm-hmm. It's just like, my friend's gonna, he's gonna get lucky. Although I, the thing is, like, everything about now, because I, you know, grew up with this movie, loved it. And whereas I, I, I'm still a bit, I'm a bit skeevy about Witterson and Cynthia, but at least though she's like of age, she's like, she knows herself. Mm-hmm. She's a confident lady. She's intelligent. She's getting ready to go off to college and stuff. And Witterson, she, she probably knows exactly who he is. And she's like, I'm just out for fun. 
everything with Tony and Sabrina though is still a bit like she looks like a child man like it's very she does look super young yeah yeah the thing is it's not untrue to high school life like I would I would have known 17 year olds who would have had like you know 15 year old girlfriends and stuff so it just is a bit like uh, just, when you as you get older you're just like no <laughs> don't do this but back when i was younger i would have been like what what's the problem but yeah yeah now it's a it's a sort of <laughs> it's it's skeevy man yeah yeah a bit of a nick factor yes very much so and what is wild is aside from their characters and this potentially problematic situation the actors themselves in my opinion those two have the coolest post-Dazed and Confused careers. Yeah. So Anthony Rapp, of course, Rent, and now Star Trek Discovery. But then Kristen, who's playing Sabrina, while she acted in a couple movies and TV shows after this, but really the direction her career took was as an activist. So she is an anti-war activist. She coordinated this multimedia exhibit to draw attention to the human and financial costs of the Iraq war. Oh, wow. And later she was a director of communications for a medical nonprofit, Solidarity Bridge. So she's been out here doing cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. I like trying to look into the careers of other people in the minutes. It's like Sasha Jensen, would go on to be killed by Michael Myers in <laughs> Halloween 4. <laughs> Although that was prior to this, though. I was going to say such a dick in that movie as well. But <laughs> Although, weirdly, I have a lot of... I, I have a real weird love for Dawn. Like, you know, once we he's got... He's so charming. Guys, I think he's, got this, he's got a nice mix. And again, it's why I feel this movie is a lot more... It's so weird because I, I grew up in... Ireland in the early 2000s. Well, the 90s and then early 2000s. But around this age, I would have been in the early 2000s. And it's so strange that, like, I look at this and I'm like, I recognize these people. And I've been around these people. <laughs> and, like, someone like Don, who has, like, I've, I know I knew an O'Banion back in the day, like a guy who was just despicable. And he was a good sporty jock type. And he was just irredeemable. Uh, and then someone like Don, who's like, he has this obnoxiousness to him. And he's, you know, he seems a bit of a sleazebag at times, but he also, underneath it, you can see, like, oh, he is a good guy, though. Like, I just love that they include that little moment that Hugo talked about it already, but when he takes, you know, he gives Mitch his licks, and then it's done. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, like, and then when he's pulling this prank, like, I'm going to go rob this beer, he let he lets Mitch in on it. And he's like, as soon as they turn the corner, he's like, okay, like, you know, you're going to be with me on this little escapade, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to help me pull this joke. Which is fine, like, oh, that's so nice. He actually is a, a there's a, there's a charm. Again, you know, he's, he's just more relaxed about everything. So when they're all talking about, like, oh, you know, the, you know, this, this whole, you know, Americans seem to take college football or high school football so seriously. Yes. But they're so involved. Friday Night Lights. Yep. Yeah. And Don's just so like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like he's, he's kind of there as well with Pink. He's just like, well, yeah, it's, it's, but I think he's he is of the mindset I would have. Like you just sign it and you forget about it. Like who cares? You know. We the, the the big thing in Catholicism is of course like getting your holy uh, get your confirmation at like age twelve, and you have mm-hmm. to you have to do a vow of like no drinking and no this this that and the other. And every single person's attitude was always just like, you just say that and then you just do what you want. And it's not as if they come chasing after you unless you get caught. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but And then after a while, you're 18 anyway, so who cares? Yeah, yeah. I, I am familiar with that. I grew up Catholic, not 
any longer. But yeah, I I was confirmed. And so mm. I didn't remember about the pledge, though. So that's that's funny. And I, <laughs> I like that parallel. I might have been there's a particular thing in Ireland where they're like, these kids are going to drink. <laughs> you know, it's the culture. So. <laughs> yeah. But Unless you tell them not to. But all you can really do is tell them not to. You can't actually do anything to stop it. I liked what you said about Don and the end of this track. You see the contrast between Don and Benny because mm. Don is kind of ribbon pink. Oh, you know, I think I smell reefer on you. And he's kind of taking on the role of the coaches, but in a joking way and giving yeah. pink a hard time. But then Benny doubles down on it, but in a serious mm. way. And that's yeah. when he says what I said earlier about, oh, they don't even care if our team wins yeah and and it's a it's a very like us them dynamic and i think to your point about don basically being a good guy the way this whole thing with the pledge is resolved and pink refusing to sign it i like the way and we'll this will be something that we get to later the way that don and pink wrap that up is Don just says, okay, so that's the way that it's going to be. And it's just like, mm-hmm. all right, I accept it. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, that's, not, I, that's not what I wanted you to do because I wanted you to just sign it and forget about it. And then, then we can play and everything will be fine. But, but I do respect your decision. So I, I do, yeah. I think that does redeem him a great deal. I know you got, you talk frequently on the show about like Pink being a good guy. Like, you know, he drifts between groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I like that you get that with Dawn as well. Like he, like, you know, you can't imagine Benny hanging around with Slater. Like he would just, or if he did, he'd be like, oh, that guy's just a burnout. Who gives a crap about that? You know, he's, he's not going anywhere and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like O'Banion never go near him, kind of thing. But like Don, he does know Slater, and you know he's probably he's probably around around his house, you know, every other weekend and sitting chill with him. And he's in the car, and he teases him in the car with the chicky leader, <laughs> right? Which is yeah. a line I quote all the time. Like anytime I'm saying things like goodbye, and it's like I always throw in a chicky leader. Um, but um, but it's seen like that's done lovingly. Like I feel like it's just like that's a friend giving his friend shit, basically. <laughs> like it's a, it's a natural kind of. I think that's why why I like the film so much. Like all the all the performances. And all the characterizations of people, even if they are a little bit stereotypical, but like, you know, Slater, maybe it's always just like a kind of one note character. But like, but there's, again, I knew people like that. Like, I say I was a, I was more of a Mike. I wish I could have been a Slater. Like, I wish I, I was free of anxiety and could have had that lifestyle of just like, just chilling about everything and just been sort of happy to be the, the weed guy. But tragically not to be. It was just too, too pent up and nervous about everything. <laughs> Although maybe if I smoked more weed back then, you know, (laughs) it might have helped. It might have. (laughs) Well, in the time that we have left, I wanted to (laughs) circle back to the song, but look at it in a different way. So Mm. you talked about growing up in Ireland in the 90s and 2000s. So if they made a movie about your high school days, what song would play on the soundtrack in your version of this scene? I've given this some thought because I'm thinking about like things I listen to. I actually listen to like an old, a lot of old 70s rock because my dad was a, he's in a band in the 60s and he was into all this stuff and I liked it too. So much so, in fact, back then, and you have to remember, this is like an, a small town in Ireland in the early 2000s. It sounds like archaic now, but I was having to do things like I would have this on VHS and would hold up a little tape recorder 
to the TV to get a copy of like Slow Ride and stuff because there was like the record store in town didn't have that kind of thing. Um, what was the name of the town? It's called Straban. It's actually about it's, you know now the Dairy Girls is a big thing. Straban is mentioned in Dairy Girls several times, and it's just like a little bit. It's like about. 14 miles away, I think. 12 or 14 miles. And border town and all this kind of business. Uh, but it's, uh, so I was trying to think, like, and then a lot of people I hung around with, we didn't have a lot of musical taste in common, so I hung around with, like, the alternative kids, mm-hmm. as, I suppose they would be called. And they were all into, like, Tool and System of a Down and all this kind of stuff. And that's not my speed at all. Like, we could kind of meet halfway between with something like maybe Green Day. Mm-hmm. But even I'm not that big a Green Day fan. So I was trying to think of something that would be era appropriate and would, if I would make in a film, because I would throw, like, if it was me personally, I'd be throwing on, like, oh, I would listen to, like, the Cardigans back then. But I don't know if, like, the songs I'd be listening to would be, like, that's a, people would identify that with the era, like you would do with. Oh, it's Frampton, so it's probably the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best I could come up with was I would have been 17 in 2003, and that was the year of the White Stripes Elephant. Oh, okay. Which was the big, like, that. I think that, I didn't know a lot of hardcore, I didn't know a lot of people who were as into the White Stripes as I was. But if I were going for, making a film set in Ireland in the early 2000s about me, and I wanted something on the soundtrack that would be, like, recognizably... That's from that era. I would go for something from Elephant because it, you know, it would be stuck on at parties and stuff. It's not like a, you know, throwing in like a random obscure thing in the background, and it would be very like recognizable. Of like, that's a thing that was big then. Nice. What's your favorite track from that album? I was trying to think of one that would suit this scene as well. And I think would answer both both questions is there's a song called "I Want to Be the Boy to Warm Your Mother's Heart." Never have a felt like such a jerk. I'm afraid to even open my eyes Because I really don't want her to judge me I want her to really know who I am And then and only then will she love me Well, at least that was the plan Jack White writes very wholesome love songs. You know, like, I, I can tell we are going to be friends and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like to make. It's romantic stuff. It's all very, he seems like such a grungy guy, but he's actually very wholesome. Uh, and that's a, that's a kind of weird, it's a, a grunge country song. But it's very jaunty as well, and it's, it's almost in the line of like a Loretta Lynn or almost like a Dolly Parton song, but it just has to be sung by Jack White. <laughs> like it's a, it's a really really good song. Uh, so I would if I was to put that on the back, that would be because it kind of also as well would tie into what's happening with uh, Sabrina and Tony. Plus, I, I can only assume Frampton makes his reappearance here so they can put in the emphasis on the line, "Do you feel like I do?" Because it's the two of them trying to work out, like, do you like me? Do I, mm-hmm. I like you? Do you like me? Do you feel like I do? Like, that's that's the only reason I think that it's back again. Because I, I don't think the rest of the song has anything to do <laughs> with the scenario of the foot. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, but although, in general, I think if you're going to um, have a, you know, a movie set in Ireland in the early 2000s, it would just have been... I don't know if Girls Allowed, the band infiltrated america at all uh but over here there was a the the early 2000s um answer to the spice girls they tried to replicate it with a group called girls allowed and they were everywhere all the time and they were actually pretty good as well so it was like innocuous bubblegum pop did you say they were irish no they were english but it was just because if you lived here you know you're adjacent you're getting all the same stuff Mm mm-hmm and uh, they had a song out the summer of 2003 called Love Machine. And it was actually, it was one of those ones that even the people who were into like System of a Down and Tool were like, you know, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, I, I politically, philosophically stand against everything that this 
manufactured pop dribble as, as it stands for. But you know, it's a, it's a it's a catchy song. So sometimes you can't help yourself. Yeah, the, the groove will just get you. The groove <laughs> is gonna get you. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I really enjoyed those picks. I've never heard of. You said it was girls allowed. Yeah, if you look up "Girls Aloud Love Machine," that that that's the song you would have heard if you stepped outside or you stepped inside. It was just everywhere. <laughs> it was inescapable. But yeah, but when I wouldn't have personally put it on, but it would have just been on, like, it was out of your power, basically. Yeah, it's it's just inescapable. Yeah, it was like was it like the summer two thousand and eight or two thousand nine, like Poker Face. It's just like, I keep hearing the, the song. I just can't get it. It's just everywhere all the time. Just even by mentioning it, you have now stuck it in people's heads. What have you done, yeah. you monster? <laughs> but yeah, that or that or the White Stripes. Yeah, that, that, that'd be, that would be my, my picks. Yeah. One would be personal to me. One would just be accurate to the world set at the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for giving it such careful thought. And thanks for joining me for this week this has been a lot of fun is there oh, uh, thanks for thanks for hosting the, the, the show too joe i've now in my head keep thinking that when people are doing like the oscars and you know when a, a speech goes on too long and they always play the a bit of music to sort of get them to speed up it should now be replaced with alex thompson yes. all right, all right. <laughs> just start playing that and then like people like oh guess i'm out of here <laughs> That would be great, yeah. And, you know, as long as we arrange it so that Alex gets a royalty check every time it's Oh, yes, yeah. And then you just always cut to McConaughey sitting in the audience not getting a penny. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I would have recorded that. I'm happy to say it at a drop of a hat. You know this. Although I say say McConaughey getting angry, but I imagine McConaughey would be like, hey. (laughs) <laughs> like he's not get a penny for it be like all right man somebody <laughs> doing me okay all right, cool let's go <laughs> all right cool well there you mentioned bat minute earlier is there anything that you wanted to plug more specifically or tell people where they can find it online oh yeah well bat minute is uh with four seasons completed so we've got the 90s set from all the batman movies covered minute by minute from 1989 up to batman and robin but we're going beyond that now so Sometime in the next year, we'll be back with coverage of Mask of the Phantasm. Sweet. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, me and my co-host, John, we're doing a little hiatus project, a little relaxed side, side hustle called Miami Minutes, uh, where we're looking at the YK Kim Kung Fu masterpiece slash total disaster, <laughs> Miami Connection, uh, minute by minute. Uh, it's one of those ones that's just me and John just sort of chilling and just riffing on a ridiculous ridiculous movie <laughs> but it's uh we've not released any episodes yet but it's imminent we have a pilot episode out and the rest of it's there's a lot of stuff banked so uh hopefully your autumn your sorry fall uh, and winter will be uh spent with us in miami even though the movie isn't set in miami <laughs> <laughs> well sweet well thanks again and hey now, check you later. Check you later. What's, what's with you, Jarvin? You're, you always gotta be so dorky, man. Check you later. <laughs> check you later. Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L I V I N. The Scavengers Network. Creator driven. Community focused treasured content.